A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. We have two champions in singles in Canada. We have doubles champions. We have Roger Federer having announced that he's going to have surgery. And we have Catherine Whitaker having just completed 25 successive days of work. How are you feeling, Catherine? Yeah, we know who the real champion is here. <laughs> <laughs> Presenting live TV for Prime Video straight off the back of two weeks of the Olympics. Uh, you look all right. <laughs> Thanks very much. That's what hair and makeup is for. Oh, right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'll send you a picture of my face once it's all been chiselled off. <laughs> Splendid. Uh, Matt, how are we? Very well, thank you. Having just, I think, watched 25 days of Catherine broadcasting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, with the holiday in between. Um, yeah, well, we're, we're going to talk about Camilla Giorgi winning the biggest title of her career, Daniel Medvedev winning the men's title at a cruise quite honestly and first of all we're going to talk about Roger Federer because I'm trying to work out exactly when it took place in in relation to these two finals I think it was maybe between them but it was certainly this afternoon as we record late on Sunday evening or overnight as as we're into Monday now but news came through no Huge surprise that Roger Federer had had a major setback to his knee when we watched him at Wimbledon losing that six-love set. Really, the writing was on the wall at that point that, that something something was wrong. And it was a question of how badly is it wrong. He'd, he'd announced that he wasn't going to play either the tournament in Canada, in Toronto, or in Cincinnati. We spoke the other day that the US Open felt very unlikely but even even with that the fact the severity of what he announced today on Instagram in a personal message to camera for his his millions of fans that he was requiring another knee surgery that he was going to be on crutches in his words for weeks and this is his third surgery isn't it in the space of 12 months that he would be out of action for months and really, the only suggestion that his career was going to be an ongoing, a going concern in the future was that he had a glimmer of hope of returning to the tour in some form in the future next year. Um, we could be looking at the end of Roger Federer's professional tennis career right now, Catherine. 
I think we probably are. I mean, he he as much told us that, didn't he? Glimmer of hope. Glimmer of hope of returning to professional tennis. Look, I think we'll see him wield a racket again. I think he will have a goodbye. I think the most likely scenario at this stage is that that goodbye is at some form of exhibition event. Um, Not for sure. I think he will try. Um, But at this stage, that would be my guess. And... (sighs) He's defied logic and gravity and ageing and time so many times. He just sort of assumed he would be able to end on his terms and his 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 body and physical frailties have been so little a feature of his career, more so than any other top athlete, I think, so more so than any other top tennis player. He, he has escaped unscathed, largely, and I know that's... It's not all down to luck. His his schedule management and all of that has been utterly supreme. But it it is strange to think of you know how you end your career as a significant part of your career for that to be not determined by Roger Federer himself. For him to lose agency in this way is it's quite disconcerting, really. And that's how I feel about it. So I can only imagine how how he feels in about it it's you know he's he's been so in command of his life and career it's felt that to uh, to have that command and agency wrenched away from him is um yeah it's tough to take it's it was it was, it was i mean <laughs> he did it in his usual kind of upbeat everything's okay style didn't he but it really wasn't an everything's okay message it was it was tough tough to hear and see. Mm. Um, I, I I was struck by the uh, the message from first of all the Australian Open today, um, sort of a get well soon message, and then and then the next one by Craig Tiley, and neither one of them was saying look forward to seeing you in Australia in January, um, which is always always the way they approach uh, Roger Federer's. Uh, uh, various health issues um because quite clearly matt that this is uh unlikely to yield any sort of hope for a, a return to the the professional match court realistically yeah there was a line in in the message wasn't there about framing it in terms of his life beyond tennis and being healthy for that being healthy for running around with his kids and doing all the things he wants to do after tennis. And I think he's not really spoken like that before quite so directly. I think it's always been a factor, but this was front and centre of the message. And that's obviously of paramount importance. But I think as soon as you start framing it that way, that's that's a signal of the end, really. Um, but yeah, it's right, it sucks. I mean, I, I thought... I thought Marty Fish had a had a good tweet just saying, you know, every athlete wants to go out on their own terms and that actually happens far less than you think. So, you know, Federer is not alone in this, of course. Um, he's had an incredibly long and good run. But, yeah, just as Catherine said, this really goes against everything we've known to be true about Federer for for his career, this, this defier of time, this defier of age and... Yeah, it's just a thud of real 
harsh reality um, for, for a guy who has controlled his own career and made such thoughtful, well-timed decisions and really taken ownership of, of everything to have it out of his control at the very end when, when he just wants that send-off is, is sad, for sure. If he, if he needs tips about how to use crutches, then uh, do get in touch, Roger. <laughs> Had a bit of practice. Yeah, that's Catherine. <laughs> yeah, when he when he talked about the crutches, I thought, oh, Roger, it shouldn't and happen if, to you. In fact, he's had a bit of practice as well, by the sounds of it, from mm. his other ones. And I mean, I wonder if his know, mum comes round and washes his sheets for him <laughs> every Wednesday. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm sure. No, I'm sure he can find not. someone. No. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. Um, I think the thing with this sort of news and the likelihood impact of it long term and the, and what it means, i.e., is is that he isn't going to play again professionally. It's. I, I never want to be too dramatic about these things because because it isn't sort of real life beyond sport, and yet and yet it. It feels really important to to every, everybody that cares about the sport of tennis. I think the, whether it's Roger Federer, whether he's your favourite player, or whether it's somebody else. But when it is somebody like Federer, who's just been around for so long, he's been around for Matt Roberts's whole life as a te- as a professional tennis player. It's it's a generation for me. I remember when. Uh, Sampras Nagasi retired and before them Stefan Edberg and people like that um, but I've never known anything like this I've never known uh, a player like him and others at the same time likely to f- to follow Serena Williams it feels if not the end very close to the end it was it really hit me with Rafael Nadal talking about his foot injury this week when he taken time off to get ready and suddenly he he can't um we had the sort of the false start of Andy Murray two years ago and and I I think you as a tennis fan or as an as an as a watcher of just observer of sport or someone that covers sport there is a kind of grieving process to this because you realize you're something is going to happen and you're not going to see this thing. You're not going to experience this thing ever again that you've had for all these years. And uh, even though th- that's inevitable, that is going to happen to every single tennis player who ever picks up a racket, it's still shocking in a strange sort of way when it actually does. Um, yeah, that's, that's definitely hit me a little bit That today. was an un- unbelievably bleak load of words, David. Well, yeah, it, it, it is a bit. Um, but, you know, same time, I think, crikey, he has had one hell of a run. Uh, as a, uh, 23 years, more than half of his life. And virtually all of those years, the vast majority of that time has been him in great health, playing, what, 15, 1,700 matches in his career. It's an incredible archive. And he um, had his defying the odds, defying gravity comeback. Yes. He did he have it. 
Yeah, you sure did. Um, but yes, I, I dare say there are um, a lot of people that, 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 like me, just suddenly, even though they knew it was coming, have been have been knocked sideways a little bit by the the finality of it all. That's how it feels anyway, uh, in terms of, uh, of the way he announced that today. So let's talk about something else, uh, i.e. <laughs> the Montreal and Toronto finals uh, that Catherine was covering uh, for Prime Video today. Um, we'll start with Montreal with a huge title win for Camilla Georgie, beating Carolina Pliskova 6-3, 7-5, biggest title of her career and maybe the most startling thing of the lot is just to reel off the names that she beat in order to win the title because Elisa Mertens in in the first round she would have been the underdog in that match and then she's followed that by beating Nadia Podoroska the running gara semi-finalist of last year Petra Kvitova Coco Goff which is one that I think surprised us all the way Goff had been playing and then Jessica Pagula and then finally Pliskova I mean there are, I guess you could you could give other names that would have been an even more difficult run to a title than that, but there is not a not a gimme anywhere in that run to the title. Um, so hugely impressive. Do you get a sense for what was different this week, Catherine, from from what you saw? I mean, absolutely not. No, I can't really make sense of anything about Camilla Georgie. I can. Or I, I certainly can't make a sen- make sense of why it's happened now. I can understand why it's happened because she plays a, the most uncompromising style of tennis I've ever seen. I mean, she. It occurred to me today during the finals she's she's completely built for finals because it's like she doesn't she doesn't register who's down the other end of the court, where she is, what the occasion is, what's at stake. She just does what Camilla Georgie does, regardless of any other factors. So she just went and did what she's been doing all week in the final, in the biggest match of her life. And that is her attitude towards tennis, utterly uncompromising. I will go for everything. And those sorts of players do tend to have hot weeks and hot streaks. Um, I don't know why it's taken her until 29 years of age to for it to come together to this degree. Um, yeah, and I don't know why now. I mean, her her father, who's her coach and a very controversial figure, their relationship is a source of controversy. I mean, I don't know much more than that, honestly. I I, I just know a lot of people pull faces when you make when you mention her father. You know, it's one of those just. Oh yeah, the father type things, and nobody divulges much more. But you get a sense of you know, not not the healthiest vibes about that relationship. I should say that Camilla Georgie was first thing she did in her in her speech on the court after collecting the trophy was pay tribute to her father and say you know he contributed to this win massively, even though he's not here with me in Montreal this week, but. The fact is, she's had the biggest win of her career without him there. And I do just wonder, you know, she's 29 years of age and I know they're an example of successful parent-coaching relationships. I do know that. But 
there are also lots of examples of players that have benefited from having to stand on their own two feet and take responsibility um, for themselves. And, you know, it struck me today about Daniil Medvedev's performance, just how much more of a grown-up he seemed than Stefanos Sitsipas yesterday. And, you know, I'd, I'm not doubting Apostolos's skills as a sort of, as a tennis coach, but the dynamic of parent and child, I think, makes you behave more childishly, inevitably. Must I, I think inevitably it, it prevents you from taking a certain amount of responsibility for yourself. So I, I do wonder if that's a contributing factor to why it's happened now, although we'll never know. Um, but why it's taken this long, I don't know. And whether it'll ever happen again, I also don't know. I mean, she is, she is unfathomable in so many ways, I think. Yeah, that was a way more profound and thoughtful explanation than the one I was thinking, which was just that Italy win everything at the moment <laughs> in, yeah. in terms of why now. Um, and yeah, look, I, I really don't know. And I don't know what it means for big picture of tennis as well. Like I, this could be it for Georgie or she could build on it. I mean, she had been building up to this, in fairness. She'd had some really good results over the last couple of months. I think she's now won 16 of her last 20 matches. She'd, she'd beaten Pliskova twice before this year in Eastbourne and, and at the Olympics. So she's been showing signs of progress and it just all came together this week. Um, that point about her just kind of being built for finals and just just how completely unbothered she is by whoever is down the other end of the court that sort of whole approach to tennis is what I associate with Georgie there's a there's a famous clip of her in a Wimbledon press conference saying I don't follow tennis and look that's absolutely fine I think she just treats it as a job and she plays and she's perfectly allowed to do that personally that's perhaps one of the reasons why I've never really warmed to her as a as a as a player. I've not found myself drawn to her matches. I, I tend to prefer players who are more engaged in the sport and have interesting things to say about it and and views on it and just feel like they really contribute a lot to the tennis world. And as I said, she's she's perfectly entitled not to, but I I do think that approach can be effective for her in situations like this it doesn't matter who she's against what she's up against she just does her thing and it did feel kind of inevitable that she would end up winning this tournament I felt going into this final today I, I did think she would win because it didn't feel like anyone could really knock her off that that path she was on she's a hell of a tennis player when she puts it all together mm. Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to have to raise the fact that you you did pick Coca Golf as a definite winner of this tournament, Matt. <laughs> definite? And, did uh, I say definite? You were, pretty much. I was very struck by the conviction in your mm. tone. Well, she uh, lost to the eventual champion. <laughs> yeah. Did, did you see? Did anybody see that match at all? Because I, I didn't manage to catch that match, and I, and I was taken aback. As good as Georgie can play, I still didn't expect her to win that match. I, I was with you on on golf for the title, really. I saw the closing stages, and Goff really raised her level to stick with her and and stay in the match. And Georgie just 
raised her a level even higher. It felt like whatever Goff was going to do, Georgie would have an answer. It, it was blooming impressive. And um, she then beat Pagula, didn't she, in, in the semifinals, who'd had a great tournament. And I think I think the amount of tennis Pagula had played kind of caught up with her. I think she all of her matches were basically three setters and she was struggling a bit physically and just a, a match between two great ball strikers and hitters. And again, felt like that matchup, Georgie, Georgie can come out on top in this form in this week. And then the final was kind of another one against, against Pliskova. She, I think she was pretty pleased to be up against those sorts of opponents because she knows she can kind of do it better if, if she's playing as well as she was playing this week. Mm. Just a couple of things on Georgie, actually. Catherine, the, the, the description you had of her approach to tennis is what I have told anybody who's ever asked about Camilla Georgie, if she's played a match at Wimbledon, what's she like? That's pretty much what I would have said to everybody. And until maybe even t- today, that's how I viewed her. That's the lens I looked at her through. She she just hits everything with the intention of hitting a winner. That's what she does. Um, she has made the point herself, I think today or in the last couple of days, that she has been trying to just take the foot off the pedal a bit and and play rallies and wait for the chance and keep the ball going, keep it deep a bit more before pulling the trigger, which... I was quite taken aback by, and because I've just never seen her do that before, ever. And uh, and yeah, I mean, and watching that match today, there was there was definitely some control that I haven't really seen from her before. She still hit a heck of a lot of winners, um, but it was quite interesting. I think maybe maybe she has moved into a new phase of her career. Whether it's something she'll actually be able to build on now and do again. I don't know. I think it's quite possible that this could be the biggest title win of her career when it's all over as well. But maybe not. Maybe she'll she'll actually go on from this. The other thing is that line uh, that you quoted, Matt. I've seen that on Twitter. I've seen the video of it. The one where she says, "I I don't I don't follow tennis much," um, and it, it's very funny because she's pretty curt. Is Camilla George you in her answer? She doesn't. She doesn't waste words, <laughs> let's let's put it that way. She was asked in her press conference after the match about that line. A couple of years ago, you said, Wimbledon, that you don't follow much tennis when you're off the court. Do you think that helps you mentally because it helps you tune off from the sport um, and that you're fresher when you're on it? And she said, what I was saying is that when I'm off the court, I like to do other things. And she actually quotes, um, she just references her mother, Quite quite good uh, bit of advertising here. She says, my mum has a brand. I think it's Gia Miller, which is the one I'm wearing all the time. And she's actually, throughout her career, her mother has made her dresses for her that she wears on, on the court, side note, um, and, and it appears that she still does. She says, when I'm on the court in the tournament, I'm very focused. I do everything I can to win. When I go home, there are other things in life. Um, and... And that's that's what she was trying to say is 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 what she's saying there anyway. I mean, she's so blunt though. <laughs> that I think, um, yeah, she she probably just rubs people up the wrong way occasionally with the way she she behaves. And I mean, look, she doesn't come across as a person who's trying to make friends on the oh, tennis tour no. in any way. No, well, um, well, Daniela had to go. 
Tukova described her one experience of practising with Camilla Georgie uh, on air this week. And she said she she would just never practise with her again. She just went for a winner off the first ball in practice. (laughs) Apparently you don't do that. Um, (laughs) And, uh, yeah, she she said she just can't find anyone to practise with because she, you know, she won't back down from her approach. This is how I do it. If you want to practice with me, then fine. If not, then I'll hit against the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I the the thing about not worried about making friends, and you see it in the handshakes sometimes when she shakes hands with an opponent. There's no there's no huge warmth. There doesn't have to be. Um, and she, maybe she's maybe she's shy. Maybe she's somebody who doesn't feel that comfortable around the others. I have absolutely no idea. I don't know. I don't know her. And I think that that's the case for the vast majority of people I know in tennis nobody seems to really know Camilla Georgie um, or have much insight to impart and um, all we know is that my god when she hits the tennis ball it stays hit and a lot of them went in over the course of the last week and that's a huge title win for her and it will be very interesting to see what the next few weeks bring because quite a few people when we tweeted about the result today, a couple of people that are often in touch and and quite interesting to listen to said, she's in the mix. She's in the mix for the US Open. I mean, I I can't see that based on all the other players. She's not in the mix. I would be very, very surprised. Very surprised if she won the US Open or even featured in the final. Which is the gauge for the mix, folks. Um, not right, saying well, she can't. No. But can is not the criteria for the mix. No. What about this loss for Pliskova? We've not talked about her. I mean, this is her third straight final defeat after Rome and Wimbledon. She did beat Arena Sabalenka in the semi final. She's had a good week, got to the final, but again, favoured to win this on paper and didn't. Do you regard it as further? illustration of progression or ultimately a disappointment and a a setback or neither sort of neither I feel exactly the same way as I felt after the Wimbledon final really really impressive week really pleased for her I think it is probably the best tennis she's ever played still don't think she'll win a Grand Slam I feel slightly more positive than I did after Wimbledon just because she's backed it up like I I didn't know whether she would after Wimbledon but the fact that she's still playing at that level I think is very impressive especially after what happened in Rome I mean that felt almost unrecoverable that six love six love and the fact she's played her best tennis in a couple of years since then I think is is really admirable Um, I know you were having Bit of debate on Prime, Catherine, with uh, Greg Rosetsky and Daniela Hantakov about whether she's got a finals problem. And I think Greg said no, because she actually played better in this one. She didn't have the same problem she had in, in Rome and in Wimbledon, which was a slow start. But I kind of think, yes, she does, because no matter how she plays, she's losing these finals. I mean, Rome was a total no-show. Wimbledon, she really got it together, but she still lost, okay, albeit to Ash Barty. 
And here, it wasn't a bad performance. It just, it was a bit flat. And, and she never quite got into top gear. More, more double faults than aces today. Yeah, which, which is a big problem for someone whose who serve is such a foundation. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I'm left feeling the same in terms of the big picture, that I, I still wouldn't be predicting her to have the best results of her career ahead of her you know, which would be winning a Grand Slam title given she's already reached finals and been to world number one. I think the only way she can really improve on that is is winning a slam title. I still, if I had to say, I would still think that wouldn't happen. But, you know, to use that word again, she is kind of back in the conversation and the mix, which she hadn't been for a couple of years. But I think this sort of trio of big tournaments where she's shown up and reached the final is big big progress hold on she's in the mix for the US Open I would say Pliskova is in the mix Catherine's got a whoa 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 look on her face no yeah I think she's in the mix I absolutely don't think she's going to win it that's not what I'll be predicting but the, the mix is would you be surprised you don't think she's going to be in the mix then? Actually, I would be pretty surprised, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yet I sort of feel like she is in... I really don't think she's going to win the US Open. Can't wait for this to be clipped up on a future rubbish <laughs> predictions pod. Um, but what we do. She She really should be in the mix. She should be. I'm so impressed with what she's done this week. I didn't see Wimbledon coming. I didn't see this coming. Exactly as Matt said, it's especially impressive after Rome. I'm full of admiration for her, but I really don't think she's winning the US Open. She deserves to be in the mix, and yet I I actually, upon close examination, she might not achieve the mix criteria for me. And I apologise for that because she deserves to. This is a new level of mix mm. chat that I really can get behind because I I think I couldn't agree more. I I think she should be, she deserves to be, and yet she isn't. Do we need a new definition of the mix? No, I'm quite comfortable with the one we got. Okay. Yeah, I think all this has done is really identified the the new ones. The new or ones the fact that it's completely inadequate. <laughs> Mm. Uh, talking to people <laughs> that aren't going to be in the mix in my lifetime Ons Jabeur managed to beat uh, Anna Bianca Andrescu and uh, well, Jessica which, which of those people are not going to be in the mix in your lifetime Ons Jabeur, I've said this at the start of the year didn't mm. I she won't be in the mix in your lifetime mm. that's what I said did you say that yeah. yeah it was the in my lifetime which was just fantastic <laughs> Uh, and uh, I must admit, she's given me pause for thought a few times um, because I, lo- I just love her. Should have won that quarterfinal against who was it? She Jessica played? Pagula. Pagula. She was six-one-five-four yes. uh, serving thirty love up, and did not close, and really should have done exactly as Catherine said. Um, that was a big chance for her, I think. And 
she feels like a player who kind of needs to keep winning at all the levels. I, maybe she will just make a massive jump and win a slam. But I don't know. She's she's built sort of incrementally, but very exciting at the same time. So it really feels like she's been made a huge leap. But actually, she is a builder. She is a grower. And I think she needs to finish off a tournament like this when she's kind of in that winning position to prove she can really do it. Because um, we've seen her make big strides at slams, but she's also come unstuck in quarterfinals and fourth rounds. And it just feels like there's there are a few more steps to go for Ons Jabeur. But I'm excited to see if she can make them because I love, love, love watching her play. And I think the WTA produced a four-minute highlights package of her just hitting winners against Daria Kasatkina. And, you know, she, she's that sort of player. Um, and it was an impressive win against Andrescu as well. I, th- I do think, as always with Andrescu, she became the kind of protagonist of that match. And you, you, you can end up viewing it through an Andrescu lens. And there was some concern there about an injury. You know, it, it, I think we thought it was blisters on, on the podcast live on Thursday night. It was, it was certainly an injury to, to her toes and she fell over in the third set and carried on. And you just, you just wonder whether she should have done. And it, it feels like she's lost her edge and rescue. I think in 2019, she was playing these epic matches and winning them. And there was a kind of feeling that she couldn't lose now it's kind of the opposite. It's kind of like she can't win because of her body. She, you know, before she couldn't lose in spite of it, and now she can't win because of it. It, it is repeatedly troubling her, and it's it's a big shame. And I really hope she can overcome it. But I, I'm not filled with confidence whenever she steps on the court, and she must be feeling the same. And that must be a really hard position for her to be in because when she's playing well her tennis is still so so good it's just she keeps keeps hitting these physical barriers and I would imagine at some point if it hasn't already happened those physical barriers will blur into a mental barrier because she'll she'll start expecting them to come and happen and maybe play with fear Uh, and I think that the mental side of the sport will never cease to fascinate me. And when we're talking about Ons Jabeur, I think, I think you've, you've nailed it, that she needs to incrementally prove to herself that she belongs at each one of these stages, mm. that she can get over that hurdle. Oh, and then that one. Whereas some players, I almost look at as unrealistic in the way they win Grand Slams. They just go and win them. And they don't even question the logic of it they just go and do it whereas i think jabber could quite easily be too realistic as a tennis player and as a look around and think well you know something's bound to go wrong you know i mean like most people that i know would whereas these very top players i think are able to kid themselves or not even consider that you know they're just going they don't let things stop them where I think Ons Jabeur is, is a very, I mean, she's the sort of person I think you'd want to hang out with. Uh, she's just, she'd be great company. She'd be down to earth. But maybe, 
unless she can incrementally knock over these dominoes as they come in her way, she's. I don't. I don't see it. And I, I like I say, I don't ultimately think she will win a Grand Slam title. But my God, she'll make some friends and some fans. And do send me the link to that <laughs> highlight reel, Matt, because I haven't seen that, and I very much want to. Um. By the way, yes. So Jabir, it was a it was a heck of a Thursday night, wasn't it? That one where we were recording the last podcast with Jabir against Andrescu, and then Pagula, Jessica Pagula, beating Daniel Collins, who'd been on that incredible tear of of form in recent times, and that was a very close third set. So it was all happening. Um, they'll move on to Cincinnati now, where um, we have that incredible draw of um, Coco Goff against Naomi Osaka potentially in the second round. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. What about Toronto, which was won by Daniel Medvedev, beating Riley Opelka 6-4, 6-3 in the final, backing up his win over John Isner in the previous round, 6-2, 6-2. So he has just basically thrashed a guy of 6 foot 10, and then he's routinely beaten a guy of 6 foot 11 as Medvedev. And I mean, I was thinking, Catherine, about the the contrast with this title win and the one of the ones of two years ago when when it when they felt not out of the blue, but that was that incredible run of form that I kept on thinking, well, this has got to end sometime. And he looked increasingly out on his feet. Well, he doesn't look out on his feet at all, having won that title. He looks like, I know he had a, 
an absolute epic against Hubert Hurkacz, didn't he, in the quarterfinals. But even so, he's he just looks like he's got so much in the tank. He looks utterly on a mission to me, um, as evidenced by his tennis, by the way he's talking, even by the way he's walking around the court. You know, there's just intent in everything. It's like... Novak Djokovic, I'm coming for you. I'm going to be the guy that stops you. That's what I feel like every step that he takes is saying at the moment. And he might be wrong, but he's going to say it until he's proven wrong. And his tennis this week was sublime. Best I've seen him play. I mean, he is the second best tennis player in the world and he is a threat to Novak Djokovic completing the calendar slam. I think he's the threat to Djokovic completing that slam. He is so agile around the court now, six foot six inches tall, and he's I mean, he moves like a dream. And he can hit winners from everywhere. He's so canny. So, so can he always seems to choose the right shot. Um, and just Greg Rosesky made the point in the studio today that it's all about the outcome to him. It's all about just winning the point. Doesn't matter how pretty something is. Doesn't always want to play the nice shot. You know, sometimes what he does looks a little bit funky or unorthodox. But it's always, always seems to result in the, best possible outcome in that scenario um yeah I think he's in the zone and he will make sure I think that Djokovic I know they they won't meet until the final if if they are to meet but he will demand that Djokovic play his best to complete that calendar slam I think he's the man different to Australia then because we we probably yeah, thought that Yeah, I know. Then. I know I have Australia in the back of my mind, but it it does feel different to Australia to me. Yeah, mm. it does. He's he's playing better tennis. Um I don't know. There's there's a different look in his eye. Um it does feel different. Famous last words, I know. I I really I really thought he would put up a better performance and 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 be more competitive he was than he was in that Australian Open final. I'm still confused by it. So Me I too. could be wrong about this. Um, and Djokovic is still absolutely the favourite for the US Open. But Medvedev is a big and real threat. I think, crucially, it's different for Djokovic than at the Australian Open. You know, A, he prefers the conditions in Australia... He's a, what is he, a nine-time champion there, and he's a three-time champion in New York. He is practically unbeatable on the Rod Laver Arena. He is slightly more beatable on the Arthur Ashe Stadium. And when you then add in everything that he would be going for in that match, if if it happens, as, as Catherine said, it can only happen in the final in New York. Medvedev will be the number two seed behind Novak Djokovic. 
you have to factor that in to how it could affect Djokovic in terms of the stress. Look, he, he, he may well handle it. He may well beat Medvedev. But I really do think it would be it would be different to their Australia match. Um, yeah, and I agree. He's he's talking like a world number two now. I I I, I go back to his press conference after losing to Hercatch at Wimbledon. He was disgusted with himself. He said, this is not good enough, but I should be getting beyond the fourth round. I've let this slip. And he said, you know, he laid out his goals at the start of this season to win one of these Masters events and to go deep at the US Open, reach the final, win that title. And he's 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 just achieving it. And, um, you know, even beating Hercatch again here, that is what top players do. They don't allow themselves to get caught up by a opponent who's got their number he is okay he squeezed past her catch but I think that's a really big win I think if he'd gone into the US Open with an 0-2 recent record against her catch and had him in his draw that that really could have been tricky but having that belief that he can beat him is is really quite something and yeah it it feels very different to two years ago we've learned so much about Medvedev in these two years we know who he is now and he is a top player who is still capable of these sort of fun moments as well, you know, and I think that's a really exciting combination going forward. And he's someone who really peaks in the second half of the year. All of his big titles, this is his fourth Masters 1000. They've all been the hard court tournaments at the end of the season. He's also won the ATP finals. He's, he's got that staying power in a season. He loves the hard courts. And I think there's room for him to, you know, certainly have results on grass. He he started doing a bit better on clay at the French Open. And he is a force. He is here. He is, he's not quite the guy because that's still Novak Djokovic, but he's, he's right there behind him now. It did occur to me during the final today. Imagine if we turn up at the US Open and he wins Cincinnati as well and arrives to to New York with Djokovic having won the last three majors and Medvedev having won the last two Masters in the run-up in the US Open Series. Just imagine that for a, a little showdown at the start of the draw. Um, the other thing that, that struck me watching that final today is I was trying to think, who does he make me feel like I'm watching when somebody's going at him like Apelka was, and Apelka was hitting massive shots and coming to the net, and Apel- and Medvedev is able to fashion angles for winning passing shots from so far back, and his precision, his ability to find a line from from what looked like pretty much impossible positions, reminded me very much of Andy Murray sometimes when he's on the stretch or he's drawn someone in and you th- and I mean there was a there was a serve and volley on a second serve from Opelka when he he deliberately sort of kick served and slow balled to get in as close as he could into the net to narrow the angles down and he's seven foot tall I mean that's that's a bloke that is to me I'm looking at him thinking well how can you get the ball past him if he's if he's hit a serve like that and he's that close to the net and Medvedev did it cross court across his body, and he still couldn't get to this this ball, and it still landed in. I mean, made me think of that uh, uh, a tweet that Matt put out during the Australian Open. I think a, a screenshot of Medvedev in the most ludicrously contorted body position, 
Um, and I think the caption was something like, Medvedev just hit a winner from this. <laughs> and from here. He, yeah. does, he does. He looks like a contortionist some, yeah. sometimes. And, you know, Danny and Greg in the studio were talking about how, you know, he, he's so dangerous on the return because because of his the return position he takes. He stands really far back. You know, Greg is a big server. He was talking about how that he, he hated to see that when somebody took that return position against him. So I said, well, why didn't everybody do that against you then? Why doesn't everybody do that against big servers now? He said, you know, not many people can. Not many people have the strength to produce power from that position. And I thought, well, I believe you, Greg, but I'm looking at Daniil Medvedev <laughs> and he looks like he weighs about as much as my left thigh. <laughs> what? <laughs> Where where is the strength coming from? And yeah, sort of shrug, shrugs all around. No one quite knows with Medvedev where the muscles are, um, but they're hiding there somewhere. <laughs> yes, and and it struck me how he was able to make it the match he wanted. I think with someone like Apelka, it's very difficult to play the match on your terms because he has this huge serve, which, first of all, you've got to get back. But exactly as you've described, Medvedev was able to get it back in a way that then set up the point for him. And I think there's not many players that can do that. And the number of long rallies there were was extraordinary for for an Apelka match. And Medvedev just sort of squeezed the energy and the resistance out of Apelka and took his legs away and trusted his own movement in so many of these long rallies. He is an extraordinary mover. He, he covers the court so well, so so efficiently. And to do that back-to-back against Isner and Apelka, I mean, he's he's made their serves just seem ordinary. Two and two against he Isner. He broke Isner four times out of eight. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and then he did... <laughs> similar to Apalka today and you know breaking him three times he looked like a really big match player today because he was love 40 down mm. on his own serve right at the start of that first set wasn't he against Apelka, who's just hitting bullets past him and getting gasps from the crowd and he just methodically served his way out of trouble and then I remember Greg I think in commentary saying he's going to feel really good about the next return game Medvedev now I've been, I mean held that and immediately he did he broke and uh um, I feel like that was the big shock about what happened in Australia is that he he froze in the final. Uh, he he was he got rattled so quickly and so easily by Djokovic. I mean, a lot of that is because Djokovic played bloody well and is has got so much many more achievements to his name. And I think that all of this got to Medvedev in the end, but. I don't see that happening again either. I agree with you. I think if that if they're in that position in us in the US Open, I'd be surprised. I'd be really surprised, and frankly, I'd be disappointed in Medvedev if he if he, as John McEnroe says, laid an egg in the final. You know, after, after all that. Um, so we'll see. Um, by the way, word on Apelka, great run from him. He beat Nick Kyrgios, Grigor Dimitrov, Lloyd Harris, Roberto Bautista-Rugut, and then Stefano Tsitsipas to get to the final. Um, showed a clear difference between Tsitsipas and Medvedev, didn't it, in terms of the, their respective abilities to handle a big serve? 
Yeah, man and boy, it looked like. I know there's more to it than that. I mean, there is a very clear technical weakness for Sitsipas that that we've that we've long known about. You, I, I remember you drew my attention to it first, David, when you predicted, I think, that he would lose the match that he did lose to Milos Raonic um, at the Australian Open a couple of years ago. You would, you would, you know, really clocked that weakness in him. And I think he sort of has developed a chip return. It's just a bit rubbish. Um, <laughs> so he, so he clearly knows that's a thing that he needs. He's got better. Yeah. But, and he was close in this match. But the fact is, he lost. Mm. And, it, it, and it eventually let him down. Whereas... I mean, Medvedev wasn't really even pushed by those two guys. Mm. I wasn't surprised by Apelka exposing that return weakness of Sitsipas because exactly as you've said, it, it hasn't developed to the point where he's comfortable with it yet. But I was surprised by the fact that Sitsipas let that really frustrate him. I, I, th- I thought his attitude wasn't particularly good in, in that match. He, he looked like a teenager. And, and we've not seen that from Sitsipas for a little while. I, I really felt like he's made some some real steps in matches. I th- you know, I think, you know, it gets brought up all the time. But that Chorich match at the US Open last year really did feel like, after that, a bit of a corner turn for him. And, and he has been better on court. But this this just felt like a step back in that respect and look maybe maybe the frustration of that return was just so overwhelming for him and we've not seen him in that situation quite so much but overall it's a positive week for him because it was the first time he looked like Sitsipas again since since Roland Garros in beating Umber who'd just beat him in beaten him at the Olympics I, th- I thought he played some really good tennis this week Sitsipas but yeah that matchup against big servers is is still one that he struggles with on both a technical level, and then I think that still frustrates him kind of emotionally and, and mentally. He's still got he's still got room to improve there. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Well, another fascinating week, and uh, it will be really really interesting to see what happens this week in Cincinnati, where Naomi Osaka and Ash Barty are both back in the women's draw. Andy Murray has returned, uh, is over there in Cincinnati, and he's drawn a qualifier in the first round, who is Richard Gasquet. So they're going to party like it's 2005, or whatever it was, when they first met. Didn't he draw Gasquet Mm. on his Cincinnati return two years ago, that match where he walked out with his phone? Oh, goodness me, that's a good memory. I'd, I'd totally blanked that one from my memory uh, will be very interesting I'll be watching that one with interest Dan Evans is taking on Diego Schwartzman Evans has been struggling recently um, Martin Fucevic against uh, Felix Auger Aliasim uh, Grigor Dimitrov against Roberta Batistra good mind you there's so many good matches Barbara Krichikova against Daria Kasatkina um, Ons Jaber against uh, Annette Kontavet and blimey O'Reilly Maria Sakkari against Angelique Kerber. That is one heck of a first round. Uh, and Petra Kvitova against Madison Keys. Oh, and by the way, gold medal match repeat, uh, Marketa von Drusheva against Belinda Bencic. Is there Ooh. another sport where that could happen? 
where the sort of <laughs> it, it, it is silly, where the final it? becomes round one at, at their next event. I mean, maybe there is, but gosh, that just feels so tennis, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I kind of like. Oh, it. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> All uh, right. Well, by listen. the way, did 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 you all see um, clinging to the Olympics here? Did you all see the clip of um, CT Span Pan CT Pan the, the decathlete? Uh, <laughs> this is no. going badly. The golfer. The golfer. No. <laughs> he won the bronze medal in. Um, in Tokyo, the clip of him saying he's just been walking around his house naked with it round his neck. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best thing ever. Proving Catherine right. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking about the decathlete who was in the Toronto yes, crowd. Yes, Damien Warner, yeah. Gold medalist. Yeah. Mm. Not, not quite, David. I'm sure Good he try. is also walking around naked with the gold medal round his neck. I mean, that's what they all do. So. I should think so too. Yeah. Um, right. Well, listen, if you think the tennis chat's being good, you want to see our mascot this week, who is, even by my reckoning, pretty special as a, as a, a canine. A Bernese mountain no! dog. No! Yes. Called Wil- <laughs> Wilhelm. Is that right, Matt? They are my... F- Don't let Billie Jean hear this or Rosie, but... They are my favourites. You want to see... Is it Wilhelm? Have I got that right, Matt, do you think? I don't know how you pronounce that. (laughs) (laughs) Wilhelm is four and a half years old. Four and a half. Currently living near Marburg in Germany, owned by Jack Nichols, who says, my three-year-old daughter likes to sit on his back and pretend he's a horse. Which is understandable given their relative sizes. Oh my god, I've just seen the picture. And he likes to tow her on a sledge when we have snow. I mean, that dog is awesome. Uh, Sign up to our newsletter, folks, and then you'll get to see a picture of Wilhelm as well. And also, you'll get to find out what our two episodes of US Open Relived are going to cover because we'll release them for you first in our newsletter. So scroll down and your show notes on your phone of this episode and uh, click and sign up to our newsletter. Um, we have mascots of our own, Scouse or Mouse or for Matt, Zeus for Catherine, Rogue for me, Billie Jean King sponsors uh, Billie Jean the dog who's on a road trip, not looking very happy about it, quite honestly. Where's she off to? She's back now. Is she? She was dragged off on holiday again. (laughs) (laughs) Woe is her. (laughs) And uh, Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer and top bloke. And with that, I think we'll uh, we'll all depart for another edition of the Tennis Podcast and be back on Thursday to find out how Cincinnati's been going. I can barely wait. We've got loads of first rounds to watch. Looking forward to it. Catherine's going to sleep for the next three days. And uh, so we'll, we'll fill her in after that because uh, it's been quite a trying three weeks i spend the next hour gazing at Wilhelm <laughs> <laughs> I've got more photos to send you oh yes Jack please. has done a whole photo shoot it's really great oh brilliant okay well look forward to that keep your eye on our social media Instagram and Twitter and we'll uh, 
We'll furnish you with a couple of picks on there as well. Um, tell your friends about the tennis podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes if you get the chance. And we will speak to you on Thursday. Thank you for your company today. See you soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.